Thank you for being present with us today, and thank you for all that you have done for us. We're reminded of how horrible the cross was, and how difficult the mission was you had to complete, but you completed it. And we thank you for, we thank you for all of that, because the punishment we deserve, you took for us, so we could escape all of those horrible things. Thank you. And thank you for the forgiveness that's ours because of that. We celebrate that grace and mercy in this communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Life's greatest struggles, pain, sickness, loss, trauma, are compounded when we face them alone. These struggles, however, are transformed with someone by your side. While the struggle does not go away, having another person to abide with you makes it bearable. Whatever struggles you are facing right now, remember that Jesus has promised to abide with you always. Well, as we continue in our series, moving closer to the cross and the footsteps of Jesus, I want to take a few minutes today to start off to talk about well, first, I want to talk about how great the kids in our church are and, and some amazing things that we're seeing happening. I have to tell you, that we're, I was very impressed with the number of kids we have that are serving on the Chrysalis team. Emily's here. I want to tell you about the kids that have stepped up in our youth group to lead, not, not, not just to be a participant, but to lead Bible study and Hayden and Eli and, and others. And, and I want to introduce you to someone else today. Maggie, come on up. This is Maggie Wiesner. And uh, Maggie is uh, a senior this year, and she's also a pilot, and uh, she was a student who came in this year to school, or to the youth group, and she said, uh, I can't do such and such because I'm going to be flying that day. I said, what? Like, you're going to take a trip? She said, no, I'm going to be solo flying up to Muncie and back, and uh, that was pretty cool. You did that, right? So Maggie, um, real quickly, uh, give us a sense of what it is that you love about flying. Um, so there's a lot of things that I love about flying. Overall, I feel like flying just gives me a different view on the world. Um, when I'm up there, there's not a single time that I've been flying that I have not been like, oh my gosh, this is so pretty. Like, it's just always so pretty. I feel like it's a way that I can really focus on myself and growing as a person because um, I just love it and it's something that I look forward to doing when I do it. And when I do, I'm just like, wow, like I can't believe that I'm in this place, and it's just like, I love it so much. Have you got to fly when there's snow on the ground yet? Yeah, I have. It's, it's really pretty, too, but it's cold. <laughs> it's cold? There's not a lot of heat in the plane, or it just takes a little to warm up? Um, it, it takes a little bit to warm up, but especially when you, you have to pre-flight the plane before you go up, and that's pretty cold. That's pretty cold. Yeah. All right, so you have to suffer for the thing that you love, so to speak. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to talk to you. We were talking in the youth group about this, right? There's a lot of things when you fly that you have to trust, right? So tell us a little about the kinds of things you have to put your trust in when you fly. So there's a lot of things that I have to trust. Um, first, I have to trust myself that I can do it. Um, I have to trust my instructor and trust that everything that I've learned I can put to good use. Um, I have to trust the air traffic controllers in the tower that they'll separate me from other planes and let me know if there's any caution that I need to be aware of. I need to trust God. So um, 
for example, there was, I think it was my first solo flight. I went up and it was pretty windy. And I was like, this is the part where I have to trust myself too. And I was like, okay, use what you know and you, like go with it. And so it, it got pretty windy and I was like, I had to like pray. I was like, please like, like let the wind die down so I can land this plane safely and just help everything to go good, you know? But I had to, um, in order to go solo, I had, to, I had to trust my instructor that I was capable of going up and that I knew enough in order to go up. All right. So when you see things on TV about these, you know, every now and then a plane gets too close to each other, that probably makes you a little nervous about trust, huh? A little bit, yeah. yeah I, I'm you're... more cautious when I'm in the air because I'm like, I don't want to run into another plane, you know? I gotta we, watch we don't want that me. either. <laughs> yeah, no. We don't want that either. Well, as you think about, about flying and about trust and those kinds of things, let me, ask you, let me ask you that question, the hard question. What happens, God forbid, when something doesn't go according to plan? Like, what, what do you do when things, or what are you at least trained to do if things don't go according to plan up there? So I would say this is the part where I use what I've learned before I go fly. So when we're in the air, we always use checklists. That way we know that we make sure everything is good in the plane, it's good to go. Um, so say I'm in the air and my engine fails, right? I have to use my memory and a checklist that I had learned before I went to go fly. So it's called ABCD. So first I'm gonna look for my airspeed, which is the um, gliding range that I wanna land at. Second, I have to look for B, my best field. So I have to land in the field and I have to make sure that it's not close to any houses or anything that could distract something. Um, and then C, I'm gonna use my checklist which there's a whole paper of emergency checklists, so like engine failure, run out of gas, anything like that. And then D, I'm gonna declare an emergency. So something that we think of is you're gonna aviate, so you're gonna fly the plane, and then you're gonna navigate where you're flying it to, and then C, you're gonna communicate. All right, so I've always heard that that's the biggest thing that gets pilots is they stop flying the plane. You gotta keep flying the plane, right? Yeah. That's an important part. That's no, good. I mean, no matter what it is, you just gotta, get down somehow, but you want to get down safely. So you really have to trust yourself and all of your things that you've learned for it. So you know I told you this. I was really shook up because Maggie had told us she was flying. You'd been in youth groups for a few weeks, and there was a viral video that came out of a teenage pilot named Maggie that had to make an emergency landing, and she actually sounds kind of like you. And so I was like, oh my gosh, that's our Maggie. She had to make a crash. That wasn't you. But we were all afraid. I was, I was like, oh, I hope that wasn't you. But I'm glad that she was okay, and, and I'm glad to hear those things about, about flying. Well, real quick, before I let you go back out and sit with Dad and, and relax for a little bit so you have to do this again next service, um, what's, what's next for Maggie? What, what's, what are your plans with flying? Um, so I almost have my license. I have to take a written test, and then I have to take a test with an instructor. Um, so then after I get my private pilot license, I will get my instrument, which means I can fly through the clouds, because right now I can only float below them, and then get my commercial license, which means that I can fly farther places, and then I'm going to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University to study flight and hopefully fly for Delta one day. All right. She'll be your pilot someday. Thanks, Maggie. Yeah. Well, I bring Maggie up for a couple of reasons, but I wanted to talk about trust and the importance of the things that we trust in. And clearly, there's a lot of trust involved in what Maggie does. And, um, and it's awesome that, um, 
that she's able to do that, that we, we have a system around that builds and helps with trust. One of the things that's tough, though, in life is, is knowing what to trust and who to trust. And, uh, and sometimes that gets really confusing for us, and we always wonder, okay, what do I do with this or that? And, and one of the hardest things is that a lot of you have experienced this. You put your trust in someone or something, and it let you down. It didn't go the way you wanted it to go. It didn't turn out at all as you'd hoped it would go or was supposed to go. And that's hard to do. The Bible talks a lot about misplaced trust. The psalmist in Psalm 44, verse 6, says sometimes people put the, their trust in weapons. They trust in the things they have to win the battle. And he says, the psalmist in Psalm 44, 6 says, I will not put my trust in the bow. My sword is not what will bring me victory. I think it's interesting. It's not about the weapons. He, he trusts in something else. Other times we put our trust in our, our resources, in our wealth. The, Psalm 49, verses 6 and 7, those who trust in their wealth, those who boast about their great riches, well, no one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The psalmist is saying, finances are great, but there's a limit to what they can do. One of the things that's really hard is we've put our confidence in leaders from time to time that have let us down. And the psalmist speaks to that too. He says, do not put your trust in princes. Do not put your trust in human beings who cannot save you. Jeremiah added to that these words about trusting in men. He says, this is what the Lord says in Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 7, talks about one more thing we put our confidence in, our hard work. And he says, since you trust in your deeds and riches, understand your trust is misplaced. You'll be taken captive. You'll go into exile. Ezekiel doubles down on that in Ezekiel 33, 13. I tell you, if a righteous person, I tell, if I tell a righteous person that they will surely live, but they trust in their own righteousness, and then they do evil, well, none of the righteous things that person's done will be remembered, for they did evil, and, and because of the evil they have done. So what do we trust in? Well, the psalmist, for all the things he said you can't trust in, the psalmist said there are some things you can trust in. Just like Maggie trusts in those instruments, the tower, there are some things that are reliable that you can trust in. And the psalmist said this in Psalms 33, 21. It is in the Lord that I trust. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Again, in Psalms 119, 42, we read these words. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word, O God. He trusted that. Psalm 5.11, the psalmist says, But let all who take refuge in the Lord be glad. Let them ever sing for joy, for he spreads his protection over them, that those who love his name may rejoice in you. You can trust in his deliverance, we're told by the psalmist. In Psalm 22, verses 4 through 5, In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out, and they were saved. In you they trusted, they were not put to shame. I love those words, and I could go on and on reading to you from the Psalms and the things that the psalmist says that we can put our confidence in, but I want you to gather this as we kind of come to our talk this morning about the, the things that we can trust in from Jesus. And trust was such a big part of the journey to the cross. The disciples had trusted him with their very lives, their very futures when they had followed him, when they left their nets behind, when they left the tax collecting booth. They had placed so much trust in Jesus. And there were times that it got shaky, right? That's 
the whole thing, there were times that they wondered about Jesus and, and where was it all going to lead? In fact, Jesus once asked them, you know, are you going to leave me like everyone else? Of course, Peter's great confession. Well, who would we go to? You have the words of life. We're going to follow you, Jesus. You're what matters the most. Trust was on full display, both those who did trust and those who didn't trust. And the story I want us to focus on today from Matthew chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there together as we finish our time this morning, looking at this passage and this journey with Jesus, bringing us closer to the cross, about a day that Jesus goes to the synagogue. And some of the struggles that are facing him as the adversaries to his ministry are gaining momentum. And, and his journey towards the cross is getting closer. And now we have people who actually want to try to trap him and trick him and, and, and find a way to make him mess up so they can bring a charge, so to speak, against him. This is what happened. The synagogue was a place of worship, and Jesus is going there in verse 9. It says, Jesus went into their synagogue, and there was a man there with a shriveled hand. And there were those who were looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, that is the Pharisees. So they ask him, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Now Jesus said to them, if anyone has a sheep and the sheep were to fall down into a pit or a hole on the Sabbath, would you not take hold of it and lift it out? Well, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then Jesus turned to the man with a shriveled hand, and he said to him, stretch out your hand. And so it says that he stretched it out, and as he stretched out his shriveled hand, it was completely restored, and it was just as sound as the other. Now, there were those who were present this day. This was a setup. The Pharisees and Sadducees were there. They wanted to trap Jesus but there were other people in the synagogue as well. And they see what happens. And what comes next in the text is all about trust. You have the leaders who are refusing to trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the real thing. But you also have some others who are being overwhelmed by the miracles they see. They're saying, maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the Christ. And what the Pharisees have meant to be a terrible trap for Jesus well, it's going to become quite different from that. Listen to what happens. Now, the Pharisees, after they saw this, they went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, so Jesus knows what's going on, Jesus withdrew from that place. Jesus left the synagogue, but check out this next verse. But a large crowd followed him. This is a pretty amazing thing. He went to the synagogue. They thought they were going to trap him. They thought this would end with them taking Jesus off to jail. Instead, more people are putting their trust in Jesus. More people are like, wow, this must really be the Messiah. And in fact, as this large crowd followed him, Jesus did another incredible miracle. He healed all the people who were with him that were sick or ill or injured or infirmed. He healed all of them. It was incredible. Now, he understands the temperature. We talked about this last week with a little girl who he said, don't tell anybody, because he understood the kind of abuse that would come on those people who said they were healed by Jesus. 
Here we see it again to those people he's just healed. He's warned them now. He says, don't tell others about this. And this was what, to fulfill what was spoken about through the prophet Isaiah. Here are Isaiah's words. This is my servant whom I have chosen. He is the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. In his name, the nations will put their trust. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him also so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and they said, could this be the son of David? The question they asked was, really, can we trust him? Can we believe he's the Messiah, the promised one? And that's the question before us, isn't it? Can I really trust him? So many things I put my trust in have let me down. Can I really put my trust in him? What you put your faith and confidence in matters. Some of you know, uh, know this individual. He's passed away. But for over 50 years, Howard Montgomery served as an elder here at the church. He was an Air Force uh, nose gunner on a plane during World War II, a, uh, a decorated veteran and hero. Howard regaled me with many wonderful tales about the missions and flights that he flew during World War II, but one of them has always stuck out to me. He told a story about a mission. Now, his flight crew, what they would do is they would fly their missions when there was really bad weather. And they would use the clouds as cover to fly these missions where they wanted to go so that the, the ground fire from the anti-aircraft fire wouldn't recognize them or see them because of all the disturbances. So talk about flying in the clouds, Maggie. They would fly in electrical storms. That's what they did. And uh, they would go on these missions. And there was a chance they had a, had a great opportunity to make a bombing run over the oil fields of Ploesti, where the Germans were getting so much of their oil during World War II. And so his crew was activated. They got out. They did their checks. They put their plane in the air, and they flew in the middle of this huge storm that was sweeping across the area. He said it was a bumpy ride. Just being in the storm was a challenge always on every flight. And he said they, were, they, they made their run. They, they were able to hit their targets. It was a very successful flight. And then they turned around to come back. But as they turned around to come back, the storm that they had been in, it passed, went past them. They were suddenly exposed. And man, they took a beating. Their plane got riddled. It was a miracle, literally, that no one on their flight crew was killed. Howard talked about how as the nose gunner, that uh, uh, anti-aircraft round pierced the glass, went around the turret and back out of the plane while he was sitting there. I mean, it was thrilling stuff to hear the story. But they had another problem that happened as they were flying. 
When they took all that fire, the plane's navigational system was almost destroyed. Their ability to communicate was destroyed. Now they're flying at night, and, and they have no means of communicating or even of locating some of the things they need to, f- to find their way home and to safely land. He talks about all the challenges, and I, I would tell you the story would take an hour to tell all of it, how the, some of the cables that make the landing gear go down had to be fixed. And so they had to go out and fix those. And, and as they were doing that, the thing that had exposed them was also the thing that saved them. They recognized that in the moonlight, they could see landmarks on the ground. And they could navigate their way back by, by sight. And they were able to safely land. He told me something about the crew. He said, there was one thing that made a difference for our flight crew that night. We were all Christians. And as soon as things went south, we all prayed. We all prayed. Howard knew who to trust in. He had all the other stuff, but even Maggie said it. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God. Because at the end of the day, everything else we put our trust in can let us down. But God never will. So how about you? The question that's before you is the question that was before those people that day. They had seen Jesus do incredible things. They had to make a decision. Am I going to trust him? Am I going to follow him? Am I going to believe in him? Or not? Now, for most in this room, you've probably already made the decision to make him your Lord and Savior. If you haven't, let this be the day you say yes to Jesus. Let it be the day. You need to make that decision. You need to say yes to what he's done for you. But for the others in the room who already have said yes to Jesus, we still face the same battle of trust, right? It comes in different ways. Am I going to really trust him that if he says I should do this, I'll do it? Or if he says I shouldn't do this, I won't do that thing? Am I going to really trust him or just think, oh, well, you know, that's just a little thing. It doesn't matter. Or when more money has gone out than has come in for a couple months in a row, and you have this question about, okay, it's, should I give? Should I not give? What should I do here? Are you going to trust them or are you going to not trust them? How are you going to move through those kinds of times? Or when you get a diagnosis and you're really concerned about what has happened and he tells you, he says, don't worry. I've got it. Are you going to trust them? Trust is a big thing. It's not easy to continually trust, but he calls us to trust him, to follow him. And friends, he's someone that we can believe in. He has said these kinds of things. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a friend you can count on. Are you trusting him? If you have a decision to make, we encourage you to make it right now as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.